Hello, everyone. This is Molly Douthit. And David Douthit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today, we're covering Nature Smart and People Smart for the lectionary selections for the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time, or Proper 7, Year C. We are so late this week, and we're so sorry. But we have some good stuff for the epistle and for the gospel. It's the Gerasene demoniac in Luke and being one in Christ in Galatians. Come on, hurry up. It's almost time to preach. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You could read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking at the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then we encourage you to try it yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back. We are um, kind of pushed up against the wall for time this week. Uh, I've had a lot of um, pastoral calls that I've been needing to make this week, which has kept me from being anywhere near a computer or having my mind anywhere near on this. So uh, I've kind of dropped the ball this week. And David has been kind of busy, too. just been carrying a different ball. Uh, Well, yes. (laughs) And David has been kind of busy, too. And uh, we finally sat down to look at this, and we decided we're going to just look at, this week, the uh, New Testament and Gospel passage for Ordinary 12, uh, Proper 7. So, um, we'll talk a little bit more next week when we actually get around to doing the Old Testament passages to whether or not we're doing the semi-continuous or the complementary. Um, we seem to be having a little bit of a disagreement as to which one we're actually <laughs> doing here. Uh, but uh, So, we're actually not even doing it this week, so we're going to, to skip that. But we'll talk about that next week when, get, when we get around to it. However, if you would like to see what we did for Year C, Ordinary 12, Proper 7, Pentecost 2, um, last, the last Year C cycle, we will have a link to that show at the show notes at www.morethanhearing.org. Uh, we are continuing with our uh, idea of concentrating on only two of the intelligences, and this week I'm looking at nature, and David is looking at people for the Luke and the Galatians passages. So, a little bit about Nature Smart. We've talked about it before as being um, Nature Smart people are people who like to categorize, to collect, grow, plant, 
uh, to relate to animals and to sort or put them in put things in phyla. Uh, this person thinks best by using natural phenomena. So as a way of viewing the, using this in worship or sermons, tap into God's creation, explore environmental issues and act, plant seeds, build, tend a garden on church property, hold a blessing of the animals to celebrate the feast of St. Francis, recognize Earth Day on April 22nd when it comes around, or even just include it every single Sunday because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jesus frequently used examples from nature in his parables. Uh, for example, le- uh, leaving 99 sheep on the hillside and going in search of one. Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Um talking about a a grain of seed falling into the ground and dying in order to produce fruit. Uh, He had encounters with nature, a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, More than one. More than one. Mm -hmm. And uh, encounters with uh, wine and with bread and fish uh, that were quite memorable. Mm -hmm. So while it's not explicit, that Jesus used nature smart. There are some examples where you can find him interacting with the created order of the world in ways that were truly remarkable. Mm-hmm. What do you have for people? Well, people smart is also called interpersonal intelligence, and it is the awareness of relationships and relationship keys and uh, emotional motivations in other people what makes other people tick, and how to push their buttons for good or ill. So uh, making use of stories, uh, particularly of human interaction, making use of drama, conversations, working as a team, uh, presenting and listening to to other people actually is uh, also people smart. So um, in the life of the church, uh, small groups, anytime you're doing a fellowship activity, uh, those are people smart opportunities. Um, your nominating committee or a call committee would benefit from having people smart folks because Definitely. they're uh, aware of motivations and such. Uh, so those are those are some people smart ways that you might be involved in life in the church. Jesus was very aware of other people's motivations, and it even says in many of the stories of the Gospels that he knew what the others were thinking. Mm. Uh, or that he looked at somebody and, and just yeah, knew them. Yeah, so those sorts of things, that he was very aware of that. And then uh, he knew how to push them for the purposes of the kingdom of God. So uh, pushing them to greater faithfulness. His parables often included relationship twists and unexpected endings in relationship. And and a lot of times the, the characters in the parables end up in awkward social situations. So it, it would engage people smart folks uh, to, to try and figure out, how do you fix that? Um <laughs> And his teaching often included challenges of how to regard other people in countercultural ways. We have lots of information about these intelligences and the rest at our website, morethanhearing.org. The Gospel Lesson for Year C, Ordinary 12, or Proper 7, 
is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. This is the story of the healing of the Gerasene demoniac. Um, Jesus and his disciples cross the, uh, the water and get to the country of the Gerasenes opposite Galilee. Uh, Jesus gets out on land and is immediately met by a man of the city who had demons. Uh, it goes into some description about who this person was, where he lived, how he was dressed. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The story continues with Jesus asking the man what his name is, and he says, we are legion. So he suddenly goes from being one person to being a plural person. And uh, and they beg uh, Jesus not to send them back into the abyss. And so instead, he tosses them over into a herd of swine over there on the hillside who run down the steep bank into the lake and are drowned, which seems to have taken them back into the abyss. Don't know how that works. Yeah, not yeah. sure. Yeah. Don't know so, how that would be better. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so anyway, the uh, people of the area uh, hear about this. They're kind of terrified. And uh, they come out to see what's happening. Well, actually, they're not terrified until they come out to see in, uh, this this person that had been living among the tombs out of his mind all of these years, now clothed and in his right mind. That's when they freak out. And so they say to Jesus, please leave. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he returns. And the man who had been uh, healed begs Jesus to come along. And he, Jesus says to him, no, return home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he goes away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done. It's a really interesting story. There are a lot of different layers to it, a lot of different things happening, a lot of little different details. Uh, it's, I think, just chock full of people smart, which I'm not doing this week. That's David. <laughs> I have nature smart. And at first read, it was, uh, you know, where, where, do you, where, do you find, where do you find nature smart in this? Except for those poor pigs mm. that have been... Uh, uh, tossed into the water and drowned. I mean, ew, where, where is it? Where is a nature smart? So David got thinking about it and he suggested that maybe the man being possessed is, uh, you could think of it in terms of the way an infection or a parasite um, invades a body. Uh, so there's, there's something, one little tiny thing that enters an organism and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes legion and uh, it can be extraordinarily harmful to its host. Uh, parasites and bacteria, they are there to reproduce and to uh, grow and to take over. They don't really care so much about the host body. They're just there to survive. And it seems like in a way that's sort of what has happened with this man and the legion of demons. It, we don't know how many entered him at first, but eventually uh, there were a legion. And so it could kind of be talked about in terms of just some malignant, malignant thing that has taken over. Uh, another way of looking at it in, in a nature smart um, perspective is uh, clouds, a cloudy day out there covering the sun. And then suddenly a ray of sunlight breaks through the clouds. That could be sort of like Jesus healing, that everything's cloudy, everything's dim, everything's cool, everything's dark, and then boom, sunshine.
everything's different. Uh, so for an illustration, maybe describe a sunny day that is suddenly overcome with storm clouds obscuring the light and what it would be like to be present when a guy shows up to where you are, looks around a bit, asks what your name is, and then with a wave of his hand, clears the clouds away. Hmm. That would be amazing. Yes, it would. Yeah. Yes, it would. And uh, for a special effect, if you don't want to if you don't mind a little bit of a gross out factor, <laughs> you could bring in illustrations or or, or uh, pictures of bacteria or tapeworms or things like that. You might want to leave that one off and just do the illustrations. I, I suppose it's better than pictures of demons, but uh, well, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. So, what have you got for people's mark? Well, uh, the man's demonic possession would be. A, a very isolating experience. And we, we read that in the text that he has been isolated. Um, and, you know, I imagine that that is part of what demon possession intends for the victim is to cut that person off from all means of support. Mm -hmm. And like the a narcissistic relationship. Yeah. The, the demonic uh, that's one of the things that it does is just to isolate humans to the point that it dehumanizes them because mm -hmm. we're social creatures. Mm -hmm. But um, if, if that weren't bad enough, the response of the community compounds the isolation. Mm -hmm. And it may, maybe didn't start out with abandoning the man to the tombs or even with shackling him, but driven by fear for their own well-being, they increasingly push this guy away. They isolate the afflicted man. Um, it's not unusual. It's not unlike many communities' responses to many physical, mental, and spiritual disorders. We've historically and still tend to separate people who are afflicted, perhaps at the point when they are most in need of being connected with other people. Because it's also the point at which that connection becomes the most difficult for us. Mm. Uh, you might think about insane asylums, mm -hmm. leper colonies, uh, tuberculosis wards, AIDS clinics, uh, cancer wards. You know, it, um, my mom, her first job was with the American Cancer Society. And uh, one of the chief goals that they had, and this was back in the 50s, was to get people to name the disease. Because if at that point, if you had cancer, it was it was death sentence. And if anybody knew it, you ended up being really isolated. Mm -hmm. And uh, so mm -hmm. so, you know, and and to, to a great degree, that is still true when mm -hmm. people get a bad diagnosis. Uh, right. Many times their friends just kind of freak out and yep. disappear. Yep. Um, it's also how we deal with the bereft. Uh, mm. how we treat the poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, it's the basis of our uh, judicial system mm -hmm. that we put people away in prisons. So uh, I've got some links to articles that uh, deal with some of these sorts of things. So uh, one website that I came across was the Unlonely Project. And uh, 
They have an overview of what it is that they are trying to do and some background. But basically, it's trying to bridge that isolation and recognizing the effects of isolation in modern society that are as uh, detrimental to people as um, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day mm-hmm. um, and more. So, um, so you can take a look at that for the effects of isolation. Then another one from uh, the journal Psychological Science on isolating the costs of loneliness. So again, that uh, just a little bit more background on the uh, relationship between uh, isolation and ill health physically, mentally, and spiritually in our culture. I don't have a link to it right now, but as I was listening to you talk, I remember hearing something uh, within the last couple of years that um, there's been some some study on addiction and that addiction yeah. is not yeah. necessarily a chemical disease in your brain, but it's also... Um, uh, it, it can it can be exacerbated through isolation. Yeah, so if absolutely. people are feeling isolated, uh, that's you know it's it's not necessarily a step into addiction, but it's a a a, a, a potential um, uh, opening. Yeah. To to filling up or or you know numbing the the, the difficulty of isolation with an addiction. Yeah. They, they, they kind of seem to run on parallel tracks and sometimes they crash into each other. Yeah. There, um, I read about a study with, with rats that, that they isolated a rat and gave it um, uh, morphine or something. Right. I don't know. And it, ju- it would just get totally strung out. Yeah. And yeah. then um, they would take that same addicted rat and put it in with a bunch of other rats with the morphine available, and it gave up on its drug, right? Because it, it had, had, had the rats. social mm-hmm. uh, interaction. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, very much so. Um, the other thing about what you were saying about the the uh, the, the demoniac being chained um, and isolated out outside the community, uh, I read. Um, uh, and well, I read about an essay called "The Scapegoat." Um, uh, it's uh, okay. Let me go back and look this one again. Okay, there is a psychologist, a psychologist named Rene Girard, um, who wrote an essay uh, called "The Demons of Garasa" uh, in in a book called "The Scapegoat." Um, it's, it's the only time that this story appears in the lectionary. Um, and and there's a detail in Mark's account that is crucial to an idea that Gerard had that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones is what Mark says, uh, about the, the demoniac in, in Luke's passage, um, it's he's been bound. And so he's thinking that instead of it being something that they've done in terms of fear, that this is somebody who has been pushed outside of the community as a scapegoat. Mm. Um, uh, so let's see, uh, as if he's trying to avoid being expelled and stoned in reality, the possessed brings about his own expulsion and stoning. He provides a spectacular, uh, mime of all the stages of punishment that Middle Eastern societies inflict on criminals whom they consider completely defiled and irredeemable. Hmm. He's hunted, stoned, and finally he's killed, which is, and this is why he is possessed, li- 
by the possessed lived among the tombs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Gerasenes must have some understanding of why they are reproached or they would not respond as they do. Uh, so um, he's he's being kept outside and ostracized as a way to take upon himself their guilt, the sin of the community. Right, right. So it's whichever way you go with that. I mean, there's definitely a relationship breach between this oh, yeah. particular man and the community, which Jesus steps in and changes right which uh, and if it is a scapegoat situation that might explain the fear that the people have um and they're asking jesus to leave you've you've mm-hmm. taken away our safety our safety net right you've 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 opened us up right to to our own our own sinfulness and our own potential punishment yeah and um there's another article that that you had linked uh, for me, um, from Christian Century, called "Encountering the Garrison Demoniac in an American Prison," mm-hmm. and it deals with some of the same sorts of issues, actually, mm-hmm. um, and talks about how incarceration mimics what happened to the the demoniac. Uh, that it is uh, uh, that it beats death into people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in in the subtitle actually it says that uh, a powerful piece mm-hmm. a- and um, I-, I wept at a couple points reading it yeah um, so yeah, it's brutal it is it is and closes with the idea of what happens if we move for a society where we don't do that to people and Jesus being an abolitionist of sorts yeah, in trying right. to free this guy, um, the community can't deal with the implications of not being able to lock people up and isolate them out in the edges. And so they ask him to leave. And the author is suggesting that uh, that's the root of the question for us as well, is the presence of Jesus. Uh, and our answer to what we do about incarceration has a lot to do with whether we ask Jesus to stay or go. Ooh, wow. So, um, yeah. Pretty powerful piece. Indeed. And uh, not not the usual direction for this passage, maybe, but I think it would be one that would preach pretty well. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, and that's probably the direction that I'm going to end up going. Yep. Uh, just, uh, I got another special effect. So um, Jesus had a lot of experience with healing people, but uh, this case may have been a little bit unusual in that he and the healed man had some time to hang out after the healing. And if that happened very often, it's not usually recorded. So um, got to thinking about that. And Uh, thought for a special effect, invite a therapist or a pastoral counselor or doctor, nurse, or some other practitioner of healing arts to come and talk about the experience of healing someone or being involved in the process of someone's healing. And, And what is that emotional journey like for the healer as well as for the healed to be in a relationship together that way? So uh, you might think about doing that as an interview with that person uh, with some predetermined questions uh, as part of the sermon. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. That'd be neat. Okay, let's go on. The New Testament lesson for Year C, Ordinary 12, is Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. Paul here is talking about the relationship between law and and grace to begin with, and that uh, we were guarded under the law as if we were imprisoned or under uh, under the thumb of a disciplinarian. And that that was the case until faith was revealed. And in Christ, then, we are children of God through faith. And uh, then the, the uh, very familiar parts of the passage here, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female, but you are all one in Christ. So that's a a beautiful little passage. And um, so uh, looking at this from PeopleSmart and looking in particular at verse 25, that we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Uh, Back three years ago when we were looking at this, we also talked about it in terms of uh, the law being like a pedagogue, uh, like Jiminy Cricket. And that got me thinking a little bit, and I thought of another Disney star, Mary Poppins. <laughs> so maybe this time you go at it from Mary Poppins' point of view, the nanny or governess who oversees the children on behalf of the parents. And in particular in those stories, the rambunctious children um, who need a little extra attention. And uh, that that is... Um, a gentle way of talking about humanity. Because, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, um, so Mary Poppins, of course, is a bit eccentric and adventurous, and that's not usually the way we think of the law. And certainly, Paul probably wouldn't be thinking of the law in those terms. Although it's possible that it's a, a tradition in, in Judaism to think of the law in playful terms. Um, and I have no basis, in fact, for saying that other than just little bits that I've uh, picked up along the way. But um, on the other hand, Mary Poppins does run a rather tight ship, even on the uh, fanciful adventures. So anyway, just a little bit of an illustration there. Then going on to verse 28, no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, etc., for a special effect, invite your folks to find someone who is across a social boundary from them, a different ethnic group or a different economic group or a different gender identification, and spend some time trying to understand how that difference makes that person tick. And uh, particularly if it's not somebody that you know very well, Mm -hmm. uh, or I don't know, maybe it's somebody that you know, but you've never really gone that deep into your differences, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, if possible, interview that person about different life experiences. And again, especially if this isn't your usual practice, work really hard to listen for understanding instead of listening to respond or to compare. Right. Right. So just listening for the sake of understanding who that person is and and why. 
Um, if the person is a Christian, then listen for ways that your religious experiences are similar. And if the person isn't a Christian, then listen for ways that Christ is at work in that person's life or could be. And then ask people to uh, report on what they found the next week. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Or give that as a long-term uh, homework assignment if if it's uh, not something that they could do in a week's time. Yeah. yeah. It may be that they've, they've, they, they work with somebody or they see somebody and they think, oh, that'd be great to do. But, you know, th- maybe you need to sort of cultivate a relationship before you can do that. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, for Nature Smart, we're, there's nothing specifically Nature Smart in this particular passage. So uh, rather than uh, force something in there, we're going to look at the passage itself uh, in a Nature Smart way. So Paul here in this section of Galatians is describing a new union of humanity with God. So I got to thinking of... Um, ways of nature being uh, in union, nature being harmonized. And so I just mm-hmm. Googled that phrase and I came across something that happened back in 2012. The United Nations Conference on Sustainable Development met in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, the purpose of the meeting was to bring together leaders from governments, business, and NGOs in order to secure political and financial commitment to sustainable development throughout the world. So there is some effort out there to harmonize uh, nature and humanity, uh, find ways of um developing parts of the world that don't destroy parts of the world. Uh, The uh, Rio 20 is a a meeting that happened 10 years after the previous um, sustainable development meeting that brought about the Kyoto Protocols. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Anyway, so kind of thinking of it in terms of um, Paul seeing humanity in union with itself and with God uh, in nature smart, you can think of nature in union. Uh, I was thinking specifically at first of nature in union with itself, uh, maybe mm, um, mm-hmm. uh, life cycles, uh, food chains, um, ecosystems, yeah, symbiosis and things like that. But I think it's always important to bring humanity into that equation as well because of the, the the very real way that we have left our footprint everywhere. You know, the, the, um, there's a group that uh, does taxonomy for historical eras, and they've just recommended uh, the adoption of the Anthropocene epoch yeah. uh, as starting in the middle of the 20th century yep. when, when human footprint started to become... Uh, really measurable yes Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean like i said there's no nature smart specifically in that passage but this is a way of looking at this passage through the the lens of nature smart that's it for today's podcast please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website www.morethanhearing.org or at facebook.com slash morethanhearing or tweet us at morethanhearing or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. 
We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS. Or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can always share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Good production.